All right, welcome everybody to this week's edition of Legal Tech Week, the show in which we talk about the top stories in legal tech and legal innovation. It is August 12th, 2022, and I am Bob Ambrogi. I'm the host, and I also write the blog Law Sites and have a podcast called Law Next. And uh, very happy to have uh, a guest panelist sitting in with us this week, Stephen Lerner from Law360. So, Stephen, why don't you... Uh, Kick it off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hey, uh, well, thanks, Bob. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, my name is Steve Lerner, senior reporter for Law 360. Um, I write on Law 360 Pulse, our business of law wire, and specifically, I cover legal tech, writing for our new legal tech wire that launched back in June. Great. I, I, I'm able to read some of your stuff, but not everything because I'm not a Law360 subscriber. Uh, but how does that work? Like some things are, are just up there in front of the paywall, right? Now there's stuff are behind it. I mean, there are certain out. things I'm sure I, I have no idea how that works, but uh, you know, all of it's really good. Okay. Well, like I clicked on your roundup today. You did a roundup and that was that I could read. But okay, good. story yeah. you wanted to talk about today, I could not read. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know. That's okay. Um, and uh, all right, uh, Steve, why don't you introduce yourself? Yep, Steve Embry. Yeah, Steve. I, you're, you're muted, I think. Uh, uh, no, I'm not. Am I muted? Can you hear me? My, I'm muted. You're, you're muted. <laughs> no, you're, we can hear you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, okay. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Steve. Okay. Uh, Steve Embry, I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads, which is about uh, legal technology, legal innovation, and whatever the hell else I want it to be about. And um, my experience with uh, Law360, it's kind of like these these uh, AirPods that we wear that they sometimes work and they sometimes don't, and you never seem to have a clue when they're going to and when they're going to quit. And that, so I never know when I click on a, a Law360 whether I'm going to get the article or I'm going to get one of these little messages that says, you can subscribe, or better yet, you've reached your three-article limit. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, that's a, a law.com is that way too, right? It's like, you, yeah. you never know. And then it's like, <laughs> this is like your last article. Then the next time you click, it's like, it just Yeah, goes, here's your first article. Right. Here's your first article. <laughs> but it always seems to, well, I, I seem to have used my last article right before the article that I really want to read. <laughs> you really want to read, right. Or the one we're going to talk about today. So now we're wondering yeah. if Joe can hear any of us. Joe, are you hearing any of us? I, I am back. Yeah, no, it just... um it dropped both my microphone and my uh, thing, although I guess you heard a little, maybe heard a little bit of it. Yeah, anyway, um, Joe Patrice from Above the Law, which has no paywall issues, so you can just read it. Like, we try to keep it simple like that. Uh, also, the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm here and able to hear you all, like, for now, anyway. All right, and uh, Greg Lambert says, bribe a law librarian, he can get the article for you. <laughs> there uh, we go. And... Uh... So we, we have a small panel this week. Uh, some of our usual suspects are off here and there doing different things. Uh, so we will maybe have a maybe have a little bit shorter of a show or maybe we'll just ramble uh, endlessly and go on for a long time. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and Steve, since you're new, I'm not going to make you go first, uh, but maybe we'll have you go second. Uh, so uh, why don't we uh, why don't we start with the other Steve uh, just to avoid ah. any confusion? <laughs> the, By the well, way, other Steve, congratulations on becoming officially the chair of the Law Practice Management uh, thank you. Division thank of the you. Uh, of the American Bar Association. It, uh... Thank you. I, we can say uh, bad things about the ABA later in the show, but for yeah, now. <laughs> well, that's all right. I'll just have to be quiet. You know, it's, it's funny. I woke up uh, the day after I took the office and thought, holy cow, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> but in any event, uh, hopefully, hopefully I will manage to to not uh, dash the ship on the rocks during my year. But, but thank you for the well wishes. Well, I had uh, written a, a post uh this week that many others had written about. It's been kind of in the news a lot. And that is the um, the search warrant that was served on Facebook uh, by a Nebraska detective that led to some additional felony charges uh, against a mother who... Uh, oh, there was another search warrant this week? No, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> uh 
I lost my train of thought. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And the search warrant basically obtained some direct messages between a mother and a daughter where the mother had um, recommended, encouraged, instructed the daughter to get anti-abortion pills, which the daughter took and I guess had an abortion, although that's probably an allegation. Um, after the 20 weeks or 24 week period uh, in, in Nebraska had expired. And, you know, the, the thing that struck me about that, it was, um, first of all, the, the, the warrant was actually served before the, the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade. Um, and it was, you know, there were charges pending against the mother and the daughter even, even before uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned. So it's a little bit unusual. And, and the search warrant didn't mention abortion and so on and so forth. But what, what struck me as really odd about that is the continued sort of gap between what we all think might be private and what really is private. Um, you know, there was, uh, I, I listen every week to Leo Report's uh, Tech Guy uh, podcast, and he was one of the things he was talking about this week was all our devices that spew out data from from um, Alexa, from Nest doorbells to your car to your cell phone, and there's you know all this data generated by Internet of Things devices that is all going someplace that we all have basically said it's not ours. You can have it. Do what you will with it, and yet that could have enormous implications that you know, we don't even, even think about such as uh, the thing that happened to the Nebraska mother and daughter. And I'm sure if you'd asked them when they were sending those direct messages, you know, you really think that maybe you might not do that. The government might like read them someday. I'm sure they said, I don't know. That never would happen. No, no, but it is happening. Um, and I think it's going to continue to happen uh, because we really, to the extent we had any right of privacy, we given it up and um, it could have implications, you know, all over the place. Um, you know, you, you want to get car insurance and your application might be denied because the insurance company has looked up your, you know, your, your records from your automobile that are kept digitally someplace and you don't count or voting rights. You know, we've looked up, you know, you, you, you don't seem to have been in the state long enough or what have you. Um, so there's there's just plenty of, of opportunity for mischief, abuse, and God help you if you would ever click on the wrong site someday that <laughs> could, could get you into all sorts of trouble. So I, I just thought it was a another sort of example of of how we are going down this this rabbit hole of the end of privacy as we've known it. And really sort of I think I've said in the article, it's you know. Not only is Big Brother watching us, we don't even appreciate the fact that he is all the time. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, it got a lot of national attention. Uh, but I think the, to me, the, the, the repercussions were not just in the abortion debate, which is why it got so much attention, but for all the other things that, that could spin from, from all of this. Well, you know, it's interesting we had a story on this too, but also, but I also thought uh, this is similar to this ties in with the acquisition of Roomba that uh, Amazon just pulled off, which, you know, um, it's nice to own self self running vacuums, but it's even nicer to be met, given the data of exactly where you have your couch and everything. If you're trying to build a system that recommends when you want to buy a new couch, which, um, or, I mean, if you're, I guess if you're Ed Whelan, it helps you get uh, maps of people's floor plans so that you can criticize them. I don't know if anybody remembers that little controversy. Just what, okay. Yeah, anyway, that little legal controversy. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, there is an interesting element to which we, we benefit from having this data be crunched, but also uh, there are downsides to it. And the challenge coming forward is that nobody seems to be very interested at a regulatory level in navigating between the two extremes. There's a bunch of people who want to make it so that there's no data 
shared anywhere and a bunch of people who wish that for the wild wild west of you know facebook narking on you for violating state laws uh it, it there needs to be some sort of effort to come up with some sort of some kind of nuance that allows us to be recommended that we might want to buy a new chair and also doesn't turn us over for talking about reproductive health uh that's unfortunately the I, I guess maybe I I encapsulated the problem with the entire country. Uh, just writ large, there is no interest in forming some sort of a nuanced policy answer to this right now. Nuance, nuance. Yeah, what's that? You know, the other thing I oh, thought was so interesting bad. about it was was the Facebook response. You know, the Facebook said, "Well, you know, we didn't know this was had anything to do with abortion, and you know, when we get things like this, it, sometimes we'll fight them." And, you know, sometimes we won't. And then, you know, that's just up to us. Screw you. <laughs> you know, so, well, but I, so I you, thought... know, you, you don't even have, you know, like, like you don't even know what, whether your whether your person that you've given all this stuff to is going to fight for you or, you know, turn you over. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these companies will ha have a policy that, that they may not oppose the subpoena directly, but they're all they're. I think Google, for example, I think its policy is that it's going to at least notify you that the government has come asking for your data and give you the opportunity to contest it, uh, even if they're not going to contest it. Although I think often they'll contest it. It seems from I, it seems from the, your story that that Facebook just here, here you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, but, and it, you know, if it, if perhaps if it had been couched in terms of uh, pertaining to the abortion issue. Maybe their response would have been different. I don't know. Although yeah, I'm not sure that that has any sort of basis, you know, other than you know their their political or moral view of abortion. Maybe, but I mean, you know, murder, you know, you know, uh, robbery. I mean, I, you know, where do you yeah. sort of sort of say we're going to do this or we're not going to do this? And um, you know, I, I think Joe's right. I mean, we have no real um, sort of sort of standard that we can point to the other thing i thought was you know you know a lot of people uh, typically responsible be well i you know i don't i've never done anything that i'm ashamed of and i don't i don't mind if somebody looks at my stuff and if I, whenever i hear that i say well fine why don't, why don't just hand me your cell phone let me kind of take take a look what you got in there i'd be kind of interested. well i don't want to do that <laughs> right <laughs> so you now right. i was also reminded of of the former President Trump's, you know, position that, hey, you know, if if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't need the Fifth Amendment uh, protection against self-incrimination, which, which he's now rethought just a it, bit. It, he <laughs> he seems to have come around on that, you know. Which yeah. I, I I for one applaud people learning more about the Constitution, right. and you know, it took him some years, but he he's come around, and and we should all applaud this new civic-minded uh, version. <laughs> yeah. um, Bob, to your point about Facebook, or at least you said Google's rule that they will at least alert you if um, you know law enforcement is after your data. A lot of these big tech companies share your data, you know, with other private parties, and if they share that data with a private party, there's nothing stopping that other company from doing that. So even if Google won't do that, there's nothing stopping the other companies that they're going to share the data with from doing that. Yeah, right, but in not. theory, Google's anonymizing it when it's sharing it. I mean, I know that's kind of a fallacy to some extent, but at least they're they're anonymous. I mean, they're not saying here are the sites, you know, Bob Ambrogi surf. They're saying here are collectively, I don't know, data right. on on sites that were surfed and and that sort of thing. And I remember hearing uh, somebody somebody had a book out a couple of years ago where he kind of talked about how that was a fallacy, how if, if you really go in and look at sort of searches on Google, you can start to identify patterns and, and you can start to figure out almost down to an individual level or a community level or something who's who's searching for what and, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and really dig down into that. But still, at least there's this at least facade. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we like of, to think we like to think that the third parties can't get or use specific information about each of us but i'm, yeah. I'm not terribly i'm not uh, terribly <laughs> optimistic that that's the case and even as you say bob i mean you could you could filter it down to you know three houses on landmark drive which is where i live so 
okay, well, you know, that's, that's pretty close. Now we just kind of look at the other factors and we can pretty well figure out that it's, that it's Embry that did this and Embry ain't getting no loan now. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, somebody on landmark drives been doing a lot of mail order bourbon. I don't know right. what it is. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's three houses on landmark and only one of them <laughs> seems to order, order bourbon periodically. <laughs> I highly doubt. I highly doubt that you're the only one in Kentucky ordering <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that's a probably a good bet, yeah. <laughs> or even the three houses on Landmark. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, well, it is scary, though. I mean, I, this is where the old fogey in me comes out because, I mean, I'm just, like, old enough to remember when, you know, you could drive somewhere and nobody would know where you were. Nobody could track your GPS data or your credit card usage or know where your cell phone is and, and ping your cell phone. And, uh, you know, it's just like a whole different era of uh, that, that we live in. But Well, you, you know, hike we, we, we had that discussion not maybe two or three weeks ago on the show, and Nikki was, was postulating the, the, the chance that, you know, you would be stopped at the state line by an officer who wanted to know why you were why you were going to Illinois from Kentucky, and could it be you're getting an abortion or what have you? But the truth is, you don't have to have somebody stopping you at the state line. Obviously, from what happened in Nebraska, you just do a little search, serve serve a warrant, and you figure out how many times you, you know somebody is driven across the state line and when. Yeah, I mean these cars at this point uh, have GPS in them that are tra- that's trackable. Um, so. I mean, we're not even at the point, not to get too far off topic, we're not even at the point where you have these truly smart cars that are so intelligent, they know how much coffee you have in your mug, where's the nearest coffee shop you can go to. We're not there yet, but when that happens, uh, privacy goes out the window. Yeah. Yeah. It'll probably be one of those features you have to pay extra for, though. Right. Like the the seat warmers. The heated seats, yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, well... uh, Steve, now we've given you a chance to warm up and uh, the other, <laughs> and get, and get the acclimated. Other get acclimated here. So uh, now I will turn to you and uh, see uh, what what story did you want to talk about this week? Yeah, it was a busy week. Um, there were seven acquisitions, at least in legal tech. I could have picked any one of them. Um, I decided to go with the Mitratech acquisition this week. I thought there were some intriguing aspects of that one that are different um, from the others, but they also reflect a larger trend. So just to go over the Mitra Tech thing real quick, um, you know, it, it acquired this company called Talent Reef this week. They're in the, the uh, talent management, the recruiting space. It's, it's the second acquisition for Mitra Tech recently that's in that human resources space. And so to me, th- this acquisition is a lot bigger than just Mitra Tech. I mean, Mitra Tech makes a lot of acquisitions. That's not a surprise. I think the bigger issue is sort of this convergence we're seeing between the legal profession and compliance and risk and human resources. Um, it's also not the only legal tech company to go after a human resources company and acquire them. In fact, there was another one this week. Adder did the same thing with uh, VI Global. Um, so I think you're seeing this convergence between legal and HR that I think is really interesting given the type of work that both departments tend to do. But I also think there's another reason why they're going after these types of companies. I, I do think that there is has to be some concern that in the legal profession, as far as technology is concerned, that has the, has the well dried up. Um, can you keep going after that same market over and over again with the same type of products, even if you're being innovative? Um, you might have to reach new verticals that are adjacent to legal. HR fits that. Um, This week, you had a few legal tech companies that were public that released data, financial data about how they're doing. And at least two of them are not doing so well. Um, I won't mention their names, but in terms of their revenue going backwards, um, one of them just had an acquisition earlier this year. So I would have expected their revenue to go up, not down. Um, And so maybe maybe the legal well is sort of drying when it comes to technology. And a lot of these companies are realizing, hey, we have to kind of go to some of these other departments, um, adjacent departments that work with legal, go after them. Um, and so, you know, we've seen that, like I said, with, with, with Adderant and Mitra Tech this week, um, they did that. Um, and even last week where Deal, which is a compliance payroll company, they bought LegalPad, which is a 
company that specializes um, in um, visas. So I think there is this, this interesting convergence that's coming up between legal and HR. I don't know if the, the financial reasons are, are, are the thing that's driving it, but I do think it's an interesting aspect of it. So uh, from what I was able to gather from this acquisition, um, and so I, I also didn't see your exact story about it, but I saw press releases around it. So this acquisition, it's like, if I get this right, the, the company does like hourly, like it almost seems like it does like gig economy tracking of like, right? It, it, yeah, they specialize in the hourly workers, uh, uh-huh. part-time or full-time. So it's not meant to go after the, you know, I guess the, the nine to five crowd. These are meant to go after more, more, okay. more so the hourly crowd. Yeah. Well, but so that was my takeaway when I saw that was that this has, uh, this kind of plays into not just that you need that these legal companies need to go into other verticals, but also that they potentially that they see the future being very, you know, uh, Employerish uh, that they they see the future of whether you know we've had this with like the alternative legal providers before, but like maybe they're seeing the idea that where we're going to start going is with more contract attorney gigs, more uh, working with temporary lawyers and so on, uh, post pandemic folks that might have great resigned from firms, but are still out there maintaining their license. Uh, and that that might be the future of tracking some of this stuff, um, which makes it both, both an HR vertical, but still back into legal. If that's where mm-hmm. you think a lot of this legal work is going to start going. It could, it absolutely could go that yeah. way, especially if that's how it evolves. Right. I, I think your, uh, your point about the well running dry is an interesting one. We actually, I think, just last week, we were talking about that on this show. We were talking about it recently, if not last week. Uh, this idea that it, you know you're seeing this with some of the the contract uh, lifecycle management companies, uh, or or uh, uh, contract drafting companies, or otherwise that that had previously focused uh, their sales efforts on the legal department, uh, and that are now talking much more about being this holistic solution for the entire enterprise. Uh, and talking more about orienting their sales toward procurement or toward sales staff uh, or, or other other parts of a business. And, and again, you have to kind of think that's because uh, it's, a, it's a finite, corporate legal is a finite market and there's a lot of people going after that market. Uh, and to the extent that you can position your product as something that is more of an enterprise-wide product than you've you know, that much more expanded your potential market for selling it. So, you know, that may be a little bit of what's going on here, too. Yeah, well, and that's, that's, of course, the model that the big four has been sort of, sort of pushing out there um, for some time is we're not, we're not going to provide legal advice, wink, wink, nod, nod, but we can help you with everything else, including preventing you from ever needing legal advice. So right. it, it, it's actually, you know, actually, I think a pretty good idea uh, to, to reach back further into the organization and be able to provide the kind of advice that, you know, reduces the need, perhaps need for reliance on lawyers themselves. Yeah. Um, I also just a, a, a a side note, I probably shouldn't even make a side note, but it was just a funny, you were talking about how some couple of companies reported, you know, dr- diminished uh, uh, growth this year or diminished reven- revenues this year. And I, I, yeah, I was, go ahead and name them. Well, no, I, I was, on, I was on, a, on, a, on a call this morning with a company. I, I just thought it was funny because they were talking about their phenomenal growth this year and how they had seen uh, X percentage of growth this year. Uh, and, uh, but, but the funny thing is they were, they were just founded this year. So I, I'm like, well, what is, what is that percentage of zero? I mean, what is infinite that growth? <laughs> that is infinite growth right there, friends. So, uh, yeah, we're all, they're all, they're all bragging about their growth, but, uh, you got to put it in context for sure. Exactly. Even adjusted for inflation, that's infinite. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Uh, it, it was, I mean, they legitimately had, you know, I, I hate to kind of use it because they had legitimately had, in fact, grown really quickly this year, but the way they had positioned it was like, it didn't eh, exist the last math year. doesn't work on that. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, all right. Well, time to talk about chips and brains, I think. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, actually, Joe, had, do you, Joe, do you want to talk about it or do you want me to talk about it? Sure. Um, well, let's both talk about it. I, mean, right. I don't think there's a reason we should be uh, be provincial about it. Uh, so, yeah, no, there um, – there was a study that was recently put out, and you can give a little bit more of the details of it. This wasn't really my story. It was uh, Catherine Rubino's uh, here at Above the Law. But uh, a study recently came out that suggested that the billable hour will give way to the billable the billable attention unit. And what the attention unit is, is uh, after they implant chips in the brains of lawyers, it will detect when you're thinking about the case and not thinking about the case and uh, bill based on that. You know, totally normal stuff. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You mean you said when they implant the chip? I thought they did that in well, right. the first week of law school. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my takeaway on this, um, it, my thought on it was uh, this is obviously kind of crazy. Uh, but also, we've had the data capability to price out most legal transactions, not like a long running litigation, but lots of lots of transactional work. We've had the data to be able to make a profit maximizing within reason flat fee for years. We've had it for We've had the ability to do this for a long time and clients would love us to do this. And we still really haven't done it uh, in a widespread manner, uh, which says to me that no matter what clients may want, we're never going to do something like this because this is insane. And it, maybe the technology exit comes to pass, probably. Right? I mean, I don't know. Eventually, maybe it will. Maybe the the phones that we uh, are that are telling Nebraska, the state of Nebraska about all that we're thinking will yeah. be able to do this. But we're not gonna we're not gonna agree to do this as a profession. That's ridiculous. No, of course not. But we'll take the COVID tests. I mean, the COVID shots, and we know what's in those. So, well, they, I, would, I mean, yeah. I would push back a little bit, Joe, on your on your statement yeah. that clients really want it. Uh, some clients probably do, but my experience had been particularly with larger corporate clients with in-house legal is they they say, oh, yeah, that would be a really good idea. But we don't want to do that because you you may make too much money that way or, you know, you might not want to work hard. I mean, and so there's this natural you know, inertia that many in-house legal department that I always found because I pr- would propose it over and over again, having done some many years, done a few of them many years ago. And it was always, that's a really great idea, but we're not sure we want to do that. We, we, yeah. we like that measurement of the billable hour too much, which is folly, but it, it's there. And of course, you know, lawyers never change. <laughs> Whether you're an in-house lawyer or an outside lawyer, you don't like to change what you've been doing. <laughs> yeah, but but so in fairness to the the author, I mean, the article was about more than just this idea of uh, you know billable units of attention. Uh, the the whole point of the idea was that you know neurotechnology is a thing uh, that that people uh, you know there is currently already uh, technology. Uh, in which either chips are being implanted in brains for for health reasons, uh, or where people are able to use devices in which they're able to use their thoughts to control uh, certain things. Drones is an example that's given here. Um, and uh, although we're still in the nascent stages of this technology, uh, lawyers should be thinking about the potential implications, both good and bad, uh, and it, this was actually commissioned by the Law Society of England and Wales, uh, you know, and written by somebody who is a, uh, uh, a professor, the, the assistant deputy director of the Sydney Institute of Criminology uh, at the University of Sydney Law School. Um, so it, it's not kind of an off the wall uh, study. And, and I mean, the, the, really, the, the kind of the point is he's saying, you know, uh, this could there could be implications for you know, criminal law, for example, I mean, you know, uh, he talks about the idea of how, how do you prove criminal intent or what's required to, to prove criminal intent if somebody's able to do something just by thinking about it? I mean, I was thinking, was it was it Jimmy Carter who said, you know, I, I, if I what is it? I if I lost I just it in my about, heart. Yeah. 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 That was the uh, line, I think. 
but but I mean, he talks about the example of, of maybe somebody who's able to, you know, through their through their thoughts, post revenge porn in, in a jurisdiction in which revenge porn is a criminal act. Have they committed a criminal act? I mean, probably, but but the law doesn't really address that. Um, Mens and, rea and, yeah. versus actus rea. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and, but then he, you know, and he talks about just implications uh, again for for the legal profession, not just the billable hour thing, but uh, you know, what about if if uh, we get to the point where we're able to start, you know, inserting having, uh, you know, neurotechnologically enhanced uh, mental capabilities. Uh, you know, will lawyers be uh, uh, using chip implants to essentially combine uh, the, the power of uh, artificial intelligence technology with their own human capabilities to create a sort of a super, super lawyer? And if if that ever happens, do you get to the point where it could arguably be malpractice for a lawyer not to implant a chip in their brain? <laughs> for, for, the, for the record, I want it to be noted that Bob said that first. <laughs> it was not me. <laughs> you know, I, and I was thinking as you Yeah, were but you were the one who set up the chip implant clinic in your backyard. So. <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking, you know, we already have, and, and I know that, that some companies actually use, they <clears throat> follow the number of keystrokes that you make to make sure that you're at your computer a certain amount of time and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. And, you know, while, while implanting chips in your brain to, to monitor things like that is a little far-fetched, it would not be so far-fetched for somebody to have wear a band, to put a band to, to monitor things like that. Uh, that technology may not be that far away. And so it's, it just, uh, it, it just strikes me as a little icky to, <laughs> back to the big brother is always watching i mean i was i was told by somebody that their their computer was watching their keystrokes to make sure they were working I'm just like yeah. <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> uh, given the uh, pace of change in legal i'm sure every other industry would basically start using this before lawyers so i don't think right. the legal industry has anything to worry about anytime soon well, yeah, what about the bar exam? I, didn't didn't was there a thing at the bar exam that you were they were monitoring your? Yeah. And it was such a disaster <laughs> that that they immediately went back to these uh, to doing it in person without trying to, because with a lot of stuff post pandemic, a lot of industries went with like, hey, maybe we can do a lot of things over Zoom and remotely. The bar exam took one second of uh, what was going on with that keystroke monitoring stuff and was like, you know what, let's go back to person. Um, <laughs> the correct answer is to get rid of the bar exam altogether, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so anyway, I guess that, you know, the bottom line here is, it, I think it's legitimate to say, let's start thinking about this stuff. And uh, I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe uh, maybe we don't need to be thinking about it. But yeah, I I don't think I just it's so hard for me to believe that there will ever be momentum for this kind of an idea. Um, it, it just it just gets a little. But it brings us back to the theme from the earlier conversation. Uh, if this were to happen, and you were able to put plant implants in to dis determine if you had mens rea, yada, yada, in some case, uh, we would need nuanced regulations <laughs> rather than Wild West versus banning it. We would need something in between. Uh, and I don't see that happening. It's not going to happen. All right. Well, uh, that was technically my story because i wrote about it but joe thought about it first and implanted the idea of it in my brain so uh that means i get to give another story <laughs> uh and besides we've got time to fill here um but i you know uh not 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 to say anything bad about the american bar association since we have one of its uh, top officers sitting here on, on the panel here today um uh but uh they they did this thing this week at, at their annual meeting, which uh, just so perfectly typifies uh, the American Bar Association, I think, uh, which is that they, uh, the ABA House of Delegates, which is, of course, the uh, the policymaking body uh, 
put a, a, adopted this resolution 402, uh, which was uh, a reaffirmation of a 22 year old resolution, which is basically a screed against uh, non-lawyers uh, being able to have any ownership interest in, in law firms. Uh, and in saying that uh, any kind of ownership by non-lawyers is quote, inconsistent with the core values of the legal profession. Uh, and this was a resolution that was put forth by the bars of Illinois, New York, uh, solo and small firm practice, uh, and some another another entity. Uh, and I guess at the House of Delegates meeting, uh, Steve, I don't know if you were at any of this or I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but there was an, an amendment put forward, uh, I think, to kind of give a nod to the fact that in 2020, the ABA had adopted a different resolution, sort of, sort of endorsing uh, innovation in law, but again, sort of as long as it didn't do anything to interfere with Rule 5.4 and, and the ownership stuff, and so they ad adopted this resolution. Uh, um, they amended this resolution this week to also include sort of a reminder about the other resolution they adopted in 2020 in favor of, 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 of innovation uh, in a way. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, uh, I, I don't know what they really thought they were doing, but I, I think the bottom line is, is a clear statement from the ABA that we are uh, not in any way, we, I say, not, not speaking for myself, but this is the ABA talking that, that they are not uh, in any way uh, going to endorse this idea of, of non-lawyer ownership or non-lawyer investment in, in law practices. And uh, I think that's really too bad because I think that's the, where the future is headed. And I think that's just the, another indication the ABA is not able to, you know, it's sort of not, not relevant uh, really to where we are right now in this conversation. I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have lots of thoughts, but I have no comment. <laughs> and, you know, the <clears throat> other than to say, you know, the the ABA is composed of many different voices. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, and many different uh, with many different perspectives. Um, so change is sometimes hard. <laughs> But uh, oh, but I was not part of it. I, I'm not, uh, and I'm not in the board of governors, even you know, even as chair of the law practice division. Um, that you know, I'm not part of that. So I, 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 all I know is the same thing you know about was what I read about. Look, I, I've I've got more consistent messaging while dating. We need you to innovate, <laughs> but in the most traditional possible way, uh, it, like. I understand it though, because the problem, and this goes. You know what? I've determined the theme for this episode is the need for nuance. Uh, the problem right now, of course, is there's a binomial like legal profession. We know that from salaries, but we also know there's a binomial legal profession as far as who it's serving. And there are folks at the bottom who are crying out for we need non-lawyer ownership so that there's some access to justice down here and that is being balanced against a bunch of folks who are like but if we allow that to happen then we're going to lose to the big four at the top the big four isn't the one who's going to go out and help out people who need appearances in family court uh but because people at the top are scared of that we're not going to have an answer down here uh it is incredibly problematic that these two forces are resulting in doing nothing uh but you know that's just kind of the way it is i mean personally i would do something to try to resolve it on the other end so that people who may not be uh let's put it this way uh who people who may not be lawyers uh, can get some sort of a certification that makes them like a lawyer uh, so that those folks could do that access to justice part, which would be a different job than the big four doing their big four-ish stuff. Uh, but no one wants to craft that very tailored discussion uh, or have those kind of special certification programs. But that would require something akin to getting rid of the bar exam and replacing it with certain certifications where people to do this X 
X job that has an access to justice purpose, you don't need a law degree, but you need to pass this test. Or if you have a law degree, you can pass this X test and get it, this other benefit. Uh, but that kind of regulation, that kind of nuanced, specific, uh, specialist general, uh, as opposed to generalist bar exam sort of world is just not anything anybody wants to do. So instead, what we're going to do is screw over the access to justice people to avoid losing to Deloitte. And, and, and I will have to say, I mean, I, I don't, <clears throat> this is going to sound like I'm defending the ABA and to some extent, it, I guess I am. Um, but, you know, short of Utah and what Arizona, no state has been able to, to push this ball over the line, including Cal California that, you know, as Bob and I wrote about, you know, the, the, Let's let's punt it to the legislature. No, it's it's the courts. No, it's the lawyers. No, it's well, whoever it is, we're not doing it. So, uh, so it it it's just you know, I mean, it's for this profession as we've seen over and over again in very every context. Any sort of change is just impo almost impossible. So, but but it's because we can't push it over to the line. We're or because we have organizations like the ABA and, and the sort of traditional bars doing everything in their power to block it. And, and, uh, and, and yet everybody who's trying to block it seems to have no other answers uh, or solutions for what to do about it. Even when you look at the ABA's own reports on, uh, on the access to justice crisis, they talk about the need. I mean, the, the what was the, the, the one they did a few years ago, uh, um, blanking on the, the what they their name of the, that report but they did an exhaustive report on the future of legal services uh just a few years ago and that that report talked about the need for you know alternative forms of, of providing legal services and uh cited the success of of some of these experiments and programs uh and, but yet when when uh push comes to shove they're just not able to give up their they're monopoly. They're so threatened by it. Uh, and, and this isn't about the big four. I mean, the big four don't serve this population and never will. They're going to compete against other big law firms, but they're they're not going to come in and take away solo small firm practices and and that sort of thing. It's, it's just not not going to happen. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. so okay. I think one of the interesting components of this story um, is just I think it was the, the point about how slow these sandbox seem to be setting up. I spoke to um, a legal tech company last year that is in the personal injury space. They were going as far as setting up their own law firms in different states. I asked them, well, why, why not join the sandboxes you have in Utah? Why not join the Arizona licensing program? And, and they flat out told me, if we went the sandbox route, it would take 50 years, quite frankly, to go to all these states because that's, that, that's the pace of which is moving. Um, I don't know if, if the ABA's provision is necessarily causing that. I, I think there are deeper issues here that you brought up, but um, I, I, the, the pace of it has just been pretty slow. Yeah, that, that's a really legitimate point. And, and, and yeah, part of it is, is just the bureaucracy around it. I mean, part of it is, you know, in, in, in Utah, I mean, it's, it is a, a limited market. I mean, Utah is not a, not a huge state in, in population and, uh, uh, th there's only so many opportunities there for some of these companies to, to set up and, and have any kind of gain, any kind of traction. Uh, so it, it really has to be for companies that are looking to do something uh, that's pretty, ex that pretty experimental or that, you know, that they're good with sort of experimenting with a, with a smaller uh, potential market or audience. And then, and then if it works, take the model somewhere else. But no, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, I'd also say to Steve's point early on that, you know, I understand, I even said this on Twitter this week that, I mean, there's a, there are a lot of really good people. And I mean, you know, almost everybody in the ABA is a good person. Uh, but, but I mean, there are people who are well-meaning on, on this issue and well-intentioned on this issue. Uh, and I know there are a lot of people within the ABA who are strong proponents of some of these kinds of innovations. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you, you can't, 
you can't sort of sweep too broad a brush in, in talking about the ABA. But still, this is the organization's officially adopted policy that, that, that represents that of the of the entire organization. And, and uh, you know, the fact that they felt uh, that in 2022 they needed to restate something they adopted 22 years ago, uh, given how much the world has changed in 22 years, uh, tells you something. Uh, hey, you know what I'd prefer you not say that that was 22 <laughs> years ago, because um, 22 years ago was like 1978 uh, in my mind. And let's just like leave it at that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wait till you get to, you mind, you get to be like, our age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 1936 in my mind. Uh, anyway. All right. Um, and uh, let's see. In other news, Steve got his ILTA press pass. So we're excited about that. Yay. Uh, the blacklist. <laughs> off the blacklist. Steve, Steve Lerner, are you going to ILTA? Yep, going there. Should be fun. I haven't uh, been to D.C. in 25 years, which I guess that's like 1972 in my mind, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited. It should be fun. Where are you based? I don't even know where you're based. Uh, New York City. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, in, in, in fairness, you still won't have been to D.C. because <laughs> National Harbor is nothing like D.C. But, yeah. but <laughs> I'm off on right? D.C. on the way there because I haven't been there in, in quite a while. But you're, you're absolutely right. It's very different. Yeah, no. Uh, but it does have two things I'm looking forward to for those who may be going to National Harbor for the Ulticon game. Uh, it has... Unless it's closed since the last time we've been there, it has a Nando's chicken, which is an amazing place, which exists internationally and only in a few locations in the U.S., but one of them is down the street from the, loca the location of the conference. And the other thing it has down there is there's, if it's still open, they had a whole store dedicated to hot sauces, which it was a, like a block and over. And they also have a casino, but that's a whole other thing. Best thing about National Harbor is it's across the river from Alexandria, and you can just get out of National Harbor and go to Alexandria and hang around <laughs> over there. See, what's weird is I never actually I, – I once stayed in Alexandria. I never really had a good time there. I was always like, yeah, Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, um, I mean, good, it's not a good time place. I mean, it's quaint, and you can get some nice restaurants. and Yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, yeah, no, I, I remember Ellie Mistal and I uh, were driving out of Alexandria, and he um, was blasting Miss Saigon's soundtrack on the radio of the car that he was driving, and people were looking at us, and I was like, not me. Yeah. All right. Uh, and, and inquiring minds in the audience want to know, what's the secret to getting a press pass? Uh, <laughs> who did you bribe, Steve? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, if I knew the secret, I would have applied it long ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I think they, they seem to be uh, have a pretty uh, more liberal policy this time. I, I, don't, I haven't heard of anybody other than the fact that it took Steve a while to get one, which I'm not sure why that is. Uh, and, and it was a sort of a cryptic start to the way they were handing them out, um, I think. But uh, I don't think anybody's had, we haven't had any problems getting press passes, have we, other than delays around them? And, and I will have to say, I will have to say in, in Ilta's defense, I did not apply to get one until recently. So I can't, it's not like I was delayed for an extremely long time, period of time. Right. But, um, yeah. We, I think did, we right did have an exchange where you said to me, I haven't gotten a press pass. And I said, have you asked? And you said, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe they'd give me one because without asking. I don't know. It's well, well, it's you the know, chip thing. Well, in fairness, in fairness to, in fairness to Steve, in the past, they have reached out before we even have asked. Like in right. the past, we get the email being like, we've invited you to whatever, which was the thing that we got during the COVID year where I got it and was like, oh, it says it's going to be virtual. And then I found out in real time on this very show that no, some of you got live passes and some didn't. But yeah, yeah. so yeah. you didn't used to have to ask. Now you do. And there you go. 
Well, uh, I will I will say uh, since since Joshua Lennon's in the audience today, if if you want a uh, object lesson in how to handle media passes, look at CleoCon, I think, right. because they are super professional about it. They reach out in advance. They like already provided their full packet of everything you need to know as a you know reporter covering. Ask, do you want a podcast table? Yes, I want a podcast table. I mean, it's. <laughs> You know, it, it's like every they're they're anticipating everything I might I might want to ask. It's uh, it's unbelievable how well it's been run. And actually, I had an issue where my travel itinerary bit that was proposed to me uh, had a little issue with it, and I immediately saw it, and it was immediately fixed. Like Clio is so on top of everything; it's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. Is there anything else we should talk about? I mean, we could talk about the uh, there was also another Latera acquisition this week. Oh, wait, Latera bought oh. somebody. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> was, was it a third of the year? Was it a, was it a day that ended in why? Um, no, no, but it's so been it, like since January. It's been a while. It's been like a little so, dry spell for them. So for for those who don't know, uh, and a lot of the audience does know me, uh, our little joke uh, whenever I run into people from Latera is to speak a little loudly about my cloud native machine learning enabled FedRAMP certified data lake that's metaverse capable. And just like saying, like, if you want help with your ERISA workflow, and because I, I wonder if maybe Latera will get confused in all the other things that they're buying and maybe give me a few million dollars on the side. I don't know. Like, I, I'm still, it hasn't worked yet, but I'm pretty confident with Latera's buying uh, frenzy that I can get in there. They, they haven't given you the million dollars on the side yet? Not Joe, yet, no. Oh, no, so far okay. so far they've been we'll, pretty we'll good about months. making sure, yeah. No, they're pretty sure about vetting their buys. <laughs> good. Uh, all right, anyway, they did, I don't know, anything else we should talk about? Any other news? Steve, anything else interested you this week? Steve 2? Steve 1? Steve Lerner? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. This, this, I mean, yeah. It's been a pretty busy week. The ABA yeah. meeting is still pretty big. We talked about that. We the seven acquisitions were going into that. Those yep. are kind of the big ones. Yeah, good. All right. Then we can uh, give people a few more minutes of their time back. Uh, and we managed to make it almost through the hour with just four of us. So that's 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 good. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back. Uh, we will probably be back next week. Uh, and then that'll be our pre-ILTA pre show, I guess. And, uh, and then uh, we can do... Uh, I wonder if we should all well no ilta will be over by the following friday so we can we can uh, decompress at that point all right well thanks everybody and i hope everybody has a great weekend and uh see you next week so long see ya <laughs>